Hello, everyone, and welcome to Global Gurus, where every Friday we explore stories of international business and speak with industry leaders operating around the world. I'm your host, Philip Auerbach of Auerbach International. Thank you for joining us. If you're tuning in for the first time, we start each podcast with a running segment called Faux Pas Fridays, where we explore a funny blooper or mistranslation that does not quite convey the professional image that your organization wants to project. Given the uh, problems in Ukraine right now from the Russians, I thought one from the Soviet times would be most appropriate. And a sign in a Moscow uh, hotel said that there will be a Moscow exhibition this Tuesday of arts by 15,000 Soviet painters and sculptors. These were executed over the past two years. Today's guest is John Peterson, a corporate finance professional with 30 years of experience in finance, technology, and operations. He has worked in the fields of banking, media, and entertainment, and is now the CFO of Health Plan One, a growing company in the Medicare distribution sector. And through his various ventures, he has done business in 150 countries, primarily in Europe and Asia, but I'm sure he can elaborate on that. So welcome, John. Delighted to, for you to be here. Well, thanks for having me, Philip. Uh, good to be here. Uh, before we dive in, perhaps you could tell, tell us a bit more about your background and how you grew up and how you gained your global experience. Sure thing. I mean, I was born in the in the Midwest. Um, never really thought about the the global scale much as a child. Uh, we moved to the East Coast when I was a teenager. Um, my dad got, got a job in Connecticut, and then uh, once I got out of college, I got an accounting degree, at University of Connecticut, and had the opportunity to work in New York City um, for Goldman Sachs. And I thought, you know, this is a pretty far flung. Um, idea coming from where I came from um, and, and the thought process of being that close to Wall Street and being that close to New York City, I felt that it was probably worth taking a shot at, even though my roots you know, were much more humble than that. Um, and so I, I took the shot and I think it opened up my career in, in a variety of different ways. And I think it changed my life because it really kind of expanded my view on, I think, what the art of the possible was. I think when you kind of grow up in, in sometimes small places or small towns or whatever, you don't always get to see everything you can. And I, and I think I got lucky from the standpoint that I was able to uh, really expand uh, my horizons uh, all, the, all, all you know, across the country and, and ultimately across the world. That's great. Yeah, I also, um, I grew up in Philadelphia, but I moved, my parents moved us to a small town uh, 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 40, about 40 miles outside of Philadelphia when I was in 11th grade. And that expanded my view in a different way of what small town life is like. Um, so it was really great to have that uh, reverse experience as well. Um, I know you've been in various ventures and companies and uh, perhaps launched different products or services. Uh, can you tell us uh, which perhaps has been the most successful and what you did to make it so? 
Yeah, I, I've been um, principally on the support side. So I've, I, you know, grew up as an accountant. I've been, uh, you know, on the accounting finance side as a, you know, accountant or a controller or a chief financial officer. Um, and so, you know, mostly what I've been able to do has really been provide high-level support to whatever businesses that I've um, helped, um, you know, organize or run. Um, and and that can take many different forms. Sometimes it's uh, legal, accounting, regulatory work. Sometimes it's tax work. Um, sometimes it is, um, you know, deal work on M&A deals or selling companies or buying companies or going through bankruptcies like I did at iHeartMedia. Um, you know, very, very different kind of things inside the accounting and finance realm. Um, and so, you know, I think what I've been most successful at is really being able to adapt and not just uh, not just be the green eyed shade accountant or not just be the finance person. But I look at these roles as uh, kind of you have to be an athlete and you have to be, you know, there's this kind of tri triangle of what I kind of say, the operations, technology and finance. And you really have to be you know, conversant in all three of those things and kind of be able to move between those kind of uh, those those philosophies and, and, and terms of where you're going to spend your time and, and depending on what's needed in any particular situation. And so I think every job I've had and even every major situation that I've dealt with over my career has called on a little bit different, uh, you know, set of tools in the tool belt. And, and so I think, you know, the, what, what I've really learned aside from anything, you know, specifically is, is, is that having a diverse set of tools um, and so you can really kind of meet the challenge, um, no matter what it is or where it is. Yeah, that's really interesting and, and sort of leads into another question I want to get to in a moment. But uh, since you've been very involved with finance in most of your career, um, at, you know, in finance, you can't really afford to make major mistakes, unlike in marketing, for example, which, uh, you know, often is experimenting to see which version works. Um, so could you share with us perhaps a big business blunder, either one of your own or one that you've heard about um, in international uh, business and what lessons our audience should learn from it? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's interesting. You know, one of the things that I saw at, uh, at Goldman, um, Goldman had a very interesting way of looking at the world and, and every time something would go wrong somewhere, um, they were generally the group that would come in and, and buy on the cheap. And I think what I've seen a lot of blunders out there in the world is that the market sometimes overreact to you know, system shocks or other things and people panic and people get out and then the well-capital people come in and you know buy low and they're able to kind of weather the storm and make a lot of money off other people's um, either their mistakes or their fear um, in, in that regard. I think that even what's going on in the Ukraine and, and, and Russia right now is that, you know, I mean, regardless of what happens to the ruble today and what happens to the Russian stock market once it opens up again, you know, 10, 20 years from now, or even five years from now, or a year from now, um, you know, there will be some sort of recovery, right? And so I think asset prices um, move, and, and I think sometimes people, you know, panic. You could see the same thing in 2008, right. um, you know, with the global crisis. You know, I was at West LB at the time. We were doing a lot of securitization vehicles. And even though you know, a lot of these gigantic securitization vehicles and mortgage-backed um, mortgage-backed uh, vehicles were 
distressed clearly the you know they ultimately they probably turned out to be 96 or 97 percent money good and and yet the world collapsed um mostly out of fear and and ultimately you know most of the mortgages you know paid off a lot better than and most of these vehicles and and you know paid off a lot better than anybody ever expected them to but you know i always look at it, it's like until until the recent kind of you know, I always thought about it like this, if you know, if your car is worth $40,000, that might be great. But what if you had to sell it in the next five minutes? Well, then it's not worth $40,000, you know, unless you happen to be at a car auction. But um, I, and I think that's kind of the thing is that, you know, asset prices and and then and, and the way people behave, um, there's generally a lot of panic. And, and when there's stress in the system, you get a lot of really disconnected outcomes. And, and so I've seen both, uh, the good and the bad of those sorts of things. And, and even, you know, when I was at Goldman, you know, every now and then there would be, you know, some sort of catastrophic trading loss of 50 or $100 million here or there, which seems like not a lot of money today, but back in the in the late 90s, it could have been. But generally, somebody would get boxed in with a position, everybody on the street knew they had it, and then wouldn't let them trade out of it. And so it's, it's when you see those kind of things, I think they're really interesting um you know but ultimately you know patience wears you know wins the day in a lot of cases and and most of the time you can you can recover unless there's been some sort of structural change in a business you know where obviously it's you know it's not profitable to make asbestos anymore right but you know but but those outside of those kind of things there's sometimes these these up and down shocks um you know create some really interesting behavior um some good some that yeah, it's very true. And as you said, the um, 2008 financial crisis was pretty devastating, but the world recovered from it pretty quickly. Um, you touched on it. Uh, you, you were talking about it previously, and I, and so we've talked about sort of successes and difficulties in business. But um, what do you think a person needs to learn or to experience to thrive in doing international business? And you've already talked about some, but perhaps you can elaborate. Yeah, I, I, think, I think some of it has to come down to, you know, like the company I work in now and when I was at iHeartMedia, those are most domestically based businesses. And so some of the things you have to think about are there's, there's less complications, but one of the things when you really expand into international business, you have to really take some additional things into account because tax rules are going to be different. You have transfer pricing. Um, you have even the way your entities interact with each other. Um, you can do some really interesting things on the tax or transfer pricing front. You can also make some terrible mistakes in terms of capital allocation and how to get money in and out of countries. And, and those are sorts of things that you kind of take for granted if you're you know doing living and working and doing business only in the US. Mm -hmm. It's much simpler. And, and I think, you know, aside from the you know the mechanics of, of, of all of those pieces, then you also have to get into the, the cultural aspects, given the fact that um, it's easier to do business as an American, it's easier to do business in some countries uh, and much more difficult to do them in other countries, also depending on, on what sort of business you're doing, 
um, and and whether you're transacting with a, with a you know somebody in another country or you're actually setting up operations inside another country, um, there's a lot of things to think about. And I've done you know, everything from you know having subsidiaries in 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 various European, Asian, South American um, countries, as well as setting up uh, BPO operations or offshore operations in India, and and having you know done some of those sorts of things as well. And they they each present their own challenges and you just have to really be super open-minded and you have to be a student of of you know tax law culture etc everything across the board to make sure that you are well equipped to deal with uh what what may come yeah and you were mentioning quite a lot about uh, cultural issues um since you've done business in 150 countries um, of course, you know, the tax laws and the, the financial rules and so forth are pretty fixed, you know, with the country. But um, where people can get in trouble, of course, is in the cultural issues, primarily. Um, can you give us some examples of perhaps how a cultural difficulty might have jeopardized or doomed a venture that you were working on? Or and if not one of yours, then perhaps one that you've heard of? Yeah, I, I know that um, you know doing a lot of work around um, when I was at Goldman, I spent a lot of time with uh, our Asian businesses, and you know spending some time in Asia and spending quite a bit of time, um, not not video chats back then. It was always conference calls in the middle in the middle of the night, um, but really trying to you know move the ball forward on a lot of things because i was there at goldman during when goldman went public and and so trying to kind of change the way the business operated partially as part of the ipo process um you know even even trying to um you know make changes and and deal with with certain things as an American and a young American. I was in my 20s at the time as well, and so not really having, you know, the probably the right level of maturity in some cases or the experience, um, understanding Asian culture. You know, there were there were times where I was a little bit of a bull in the china shop, so to speak, and uh, really kind of rubbed some people the wrong way. And had um, had it not been for, I think, a couple of uh, you know people in our Asian offices that were either you know either American or European or even a Asian people that had spent a lot of time in the states to kind of pull me pull me aside and said, listen, we know that you're trying to you know implement some new technology, implement some new infrastructure, get people to buy in. Like there's a way to do that here, and you're not doing it properly right and so and so kind of having that counsel from people that were super helpful um i learned a lot and and so it's kind of one of those things where you're never really trying to be disrespectful but sometimes if you don't understand what's respectful and disrespectful in somebody else's culture you can really uh you know stub your toe and and then put yourself in the spot unintentionally but it's really important to kind of understand that you mentioned that a lot of your experience was when you were younger and you know you encountered these these difficulties um in in, in well in, in all of asia i was going to say india but in all of asia especially asia um seniority is is valued and youth is sort of devalued um and there's a, a both in the languages as well as in the culture there's a very high respect for uh, people who are older and you know you have to defer to them um even if they're wrong, for example. Um, <laughs> did you encounter any of those difficulties specifically? And 
how did you adjust to those? Yeah, it, um, I could definitely sense that part of the issue, especially in my early time in Asia, was was partially due to my age, where it was kind of this is not just a brash American; it's a young brash American, <laughs> and I didn't probably have the uh, didn't have the you know capital or the personal capital to kind of get through what I needed to get done. I do know that you know as my career went on and I was more senior, I know we we did some business in India, um, you know when I was at Warner Music Group. Um, given that I, I had probably started getting a gray hair or two um, in those days, um, going over there as a senior executive versus a junior executive, you get treated very, very, very differently, right? And so, and understanding that, you know, if I was senior vice president and controller of Warner Music Group, I'm, a, I'm an important person. And right. so, you know, walking around during, you know, site visits and other things, uh, dealing with our, 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 some of our business process outsourcing that we had done out there, um, it, it was very, very different um, feeling um, coming from that, having a little bit of that seniority and that capital and, that, and power, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, it, it certainly does change the game. And so part of what you have to be is you have to be self-aware to understand both when you have that power or that cachet or when you don't and understand the dynamics of all the things you're trying to, to get through. I think, I think I look at it in a way of, uh, it's, it's like game theory to some extent, right? Because every culture, every business situation, there's a set of rules and there's the desired outcome. So in some way you're, you're playing a game and you need to make sure you understand the rules of the game that you're in. And so you kind of make sure that you achieve the desired outcome. And that can be very, very different depending on you know which group of people, what country, what situation you're dealing with. And I think you have to be cognizant. You can't, you can't be like a, you know, the, the proverbial, you know, construction work or every, you know, everything is a nail and you're the hammer, right? It's like, it can't, it can't be that it's not that simple. You have to make sure that you have some nuance and understand the situations that you're in for sure. Yeah, there's um, an expression in various Asian languages, the equivalent of um, basically the, the nail that the nail that sticks up gets hammered down, which means, you know, more conforming, of course. Yeah. Um, but, but to build upon what you said, as you called yourself a young, brash American, um, was it hard to get people, you know, since you were a young American, was it hard? How, how did you get people to buy into the changes you needed to make or you wanted to make? Well, it was trying to find the right people locally. Um, and then and in most larger companies, you're going to have um, some people, no matter where you are in the world, that have gone to school in America or Europe or whatever, or somebody that can kind of help you through the cultural or the language barriers. And, and I think, you know, being able to, you know, socialize, um, quite frankly, some sometimes, you know, being able to go out, you know, in Tokyo and eat sushi and, and, and kind of show that you want to, you know, you know blend in or blend in or, or and even just take part in their culture mm. and that you respect their culture and and you know you don't want to go to hey let's go to let's go to japan and go to a steak like an american steakhouse right? right it's like you know when i when i go to india i eat indian food i go i try to go local because mm. i think i think it's respectful and i think you really um do you know get it, it, they appreciate that, right? When when you're trying to, you know, you show that like you respect them and you're not just there for business only, that you actually want to be 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 there in a larger sense. And I think that's been helpful. Yeah. 
That's sound, that sounds great. You're absolutely right. I've experienced that myself. Um, if you had the chance to give your past self some current advice, what would you tell yourself looking back? I would actually say that, um, that if you have an opportunity to take a rotation where you actually can work overseas for an extended period of time, I know that that, that doesn't work for everybody, but I think that you know I spent a lot of time overseas. I, I did some really interesting things, but I think I missed the opportunity to potentially live in London for a year or live in Dusseldorf for a year or you know live in Asia for a year. And I, and I think that you know those experiences um, you know, would have been really valuable for me um, from a business perspective. And I think personally, I think the more you know about the world, um, the better you are. I know when my kids were in middle school and high school, I sent them on a number of different international, you know, three-week trips here and there, because I just think that understanding the world um, as, as it is, not as you, how you think it might be, um, right. I think is really, really important because, you know, I, I, I just think that uh, the world, given technology, continues to get smaller and smaller. Um, but yet there are still a lot of fundamental kind of differences in the way, you know, people are on, on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and, and you can think that, you know, people, but until you really kind of spend time in places and really, you know, eat in their restaurants and talk to people and, and really kind of understand who people are, um, that you really don't fundamentally understand them. And I think sometimes we live in this Twitter world and everything's 140 characters or whatever else, and you know, everything's snippets. And, and I think you, if you don't really spend that time to really kind of understand um, a little bit more broadly and deeply that um, I, I think I think you miss out on some of that. And I think that that's that's where you get some of that really great enrichment, um, because I think some of the time I did spend overseas, I, I really, really value. Yeah, you mentioned Twitter and so forth. Um, you know, the United States is basically an instant culture. Yes. Uh, you know, instant fast food and instant uh, you know, answers to anything. And, you know, uh, an email message or an ad has to be um, has to resonate within three seconds and so forth. Um, and what I think you're also alluding to or referring to is that in most parts of the world, relationships are really key and building those relationships. And one does it over meals and over, um, you know, just ongoing conversations. And uh, very often, well, in many cases, um, you can't really do business until people trust you and they can't, they don't trust you until you have developed that relationship. So Americans tend to just, you know, you use the word brash, it's wonderful. Um, you know, Americans tend to just rush in and, you know, hello, how are you? My name is this. Um, how can we, um, which, which product of ours would you like? Which product of ours is, are you most interested in? And that's absolutely not the way it works. Yeah, I thought I thought that came through a lot when I worked at, at West LB, which was uh, you know one of the German Landes banks that had a, a U.S. Uh, branch, and and so working for the U.S. branch and being CFO of the U.S. broker dealer, you know we had a business that we were running here that we were responsible to report into Dusseldorf, and I spent a lot of time in in Dusseldorf and and really you know, being in a company that was, you know, headquartered in, in Germany is very, very different than being a company that's headquartered in New York that has an office in Germany. So mm. those two offices, you know, will, will behave very, very differently. And I know that the, you know, the, the, the New Yorkers often got frustrated by the pace 
of getting decisions done or made in Germany, but you know, the, the Germans have generally been a lot more thoughtful um, and, and deliberate about way the, the way they do things and also a lot more conservative, conservative quite frankly. Hmm. And, and in that, you know, um, you know, the, the getting some, getting to the respect. I mean, I think, I think you, you, you may have studied German at some point in time too. I think I read in your background and I, I had studied German for six years or so. And although I'm not an expert at it by any stretch, I remember sitting in offices in, in Dusseldorf and people talking over me because they figured I couldn't understand them. And I, every now and then I would raise my hand and say like, I, I can't, I can't really engage in this conversation in German because my German is not so good, but I think like, but I can, I, I know what you, I know what you're talking about and we and you probably shouldn't. <laughs> and so sometimes those language things can be a little bit funny, but I think the fact that I, that even understanding what they were saying gave them a little bit, I, they, they respected that to some extent because I, I kind of chimed in as like, okay, this guy understands German. So he's not, he, he's not a complete Neanderthal, right? <laughs> That's wonderful. Um, I guess there's there's also the experience of uh, you're in another country and the, the locals assume you don't know the language and you're in an elevator and they talk about you, yeah. uh, you know, that Americans wearing such funny clothes or, or you know, <laughs> and uh, says something negative and you can then pop in in the, in the language saying, oh, thank you very much for that uh, delightful compliment or whatever. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, of the countries that you've worked in, I'm curious if there's any one or two that seem to be more difficult than others. Um, you know, I, th I think from, you know, what, from my experience, um, Japan was particularly difficult, um, just, I think, most mostly cultural, um, and, and, you know, just trying to kind of get things done the speed that you'd want to get them done and having to kind of navigate around, especially in the banking side of things, um, they just, they just behave very, very differently. Yeah. And so um, that, that, that I think was difficult for, for me. Um, and, and I think in, 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 in Germany, um, you know, trying to kind of maneuver with a German parent company, I, I thought was pretty difficult where when I was, doing other business in Germany where I was working for an American parent. Um, it was not that difficult to do business in Germany. What I, what I learned through that process is that I don't think I ever want to work in the US for a foreign headquartered company hmm. that that um, you, if you want to if you want to work in Europe you'd want to work for a, a US based company um, hmm. just because the, the, the dynamics are a little bit different and um, and 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 the, it's it's like a different set of math almost um, okay. what you have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis and so I think sometimes it's the country and sometimes it's this actual business circumstance that you're in um, and kind of what you're what you're there to go do um, and so I think I think that that's what I've learned is that it, you can't really kind of pigeonhole or stereotype any particular country as being a certain way, because mm -hmm. depending on what you're trying to do there and who you're trying to do it with, um, right. you have a very, very dis dis distinct set of uh, outcomes that are there and, 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 and potentially 
um, behaviors that you need to kind of exhibit to be able to get things done. And so um, I think it's I think it's really been about for me in any situation is you have to be able to kind of read the room and understand where you are and what you're trying to accomplish and who you're trying to accomplish it with. And I think that, you know, in some regards, it's like even doing business in New York City versus doing business in Memphis, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, we, I know we say this is one country, but like, this isn't really one country either. It's like a whole bunch of little countries that are all part of America. So um, I think I think that I think that translates. I think you know to to a lot of things. I think you just have to be open and understanding um, to and understand the circumstances where you where you're in to to maximize uh, whatever you're doing. Very true, very true. Um, uh, before we close, is there anything further you'd like to share with us, or perhaps tell us a bit about? Uh, Life outside of work. What what else do you like to do? Well, you know, I, I have a couple of things I think I would say. One is that the the interesting thing about you know the world is that you know a lot of you know we're, we're U.S. centric people kind of think that all of the best ideas kind of come from the U.S. But um, I think that even in the um, you know when I was in the music business, the the world was all the world was trying to build the best streaming platform and and mm -hmm. the Swedish with Daniel Ek and Spotify crushed everybody right and I don't and I don't even think most Americans really realize that Spotify isn't like a Silicon Valley company that was that it was it was made out of Europe and 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 I think that with that you can understand that um, there's a lot of great companies and great um, businesses that kind of come from all over. And I think that, you know, for, for me, I think it's really interesting and enriching to have been kind of part of a lot of the things that I've seen over, over, over the years. Um, but I think what, you know, when you look at the outside part of your life that you want your work life to be as interesting and fulfilling as it can. But at the end of the day, for most people, we're, you, we're doing what we do to make money to do the other things in our life that we want to go do. Hopefully, if, we, if we've got that balance right. And so, you know, um, I have two, you know, young adult uh, children. Um, I spend a lot of time, you know, going to sporting events or concerts, you know, um, absent COVID issues or whatever. A lot of travel, a lot of golf, you know, and really spend, um, you know, my life trying to use, you know, the things that I've been able to do well in business um, to enhance the personal life for myself, you know, my wife, my family, my kids. And, and so we can all uh, enjoy all the great things that the world has to offer. And I think having traveled a lot and having had my kids and my wife and everybody travel a lot, you know, I think that, you know, we, we feel that we're kind of outdoor cats, right? You know, we're not, we're not homebodies. We want to get out and experience the world. And I think that that's one of the things that, you know, coming from where I came from, seeing all the countries I've been to, all the trips and travel and everything else that I've done, I never as a child imagined that that's what my life would be like. And I think, you know, the ability to kind of get into big companies and do international travel, international business really changed the way I saw the world. And I can then hand that down to, to my children as well. And I think that they're more well-rounded and, and better off because of that as well. And, and so for, for me, you know, I, I always tell people to take advantage of the opportunities that you can because as great as America is, and I, and I love it here, um, I just think it's really, really interesting to see how the rest of the world lives. And I think that there's a lot that we can all learn from each other. Yeah, very, very true. Um, well, thank you so much for your incredible insights. You've certainly covered a huge gamut of 
issues dealing with international business and culture and uh, you know, different methods and so forth. And it's really delightful to hear, to you know, be with someone who has such a broad background, broad experience. Uh, so, and this has been an interview with John Peterson and I'm Philip Auerbach. Please join us again next week for another edition of Global Gurus and their stories on international business. Thanks for having me, Philip. Thank you.